We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. We're talking 2018 expected points in their 2019 ramifications on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Hi, everyone. Welcome on Into Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by FFB Cast and the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, the Editor in Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. Matt, what is the weather in the great state of Iowa like right now? Uh, I mean, I guess anytime you can start a podcast by talking about the weather in Iowa, you have to do it. So um, let's see. It is alternating between uh, hot and cold. And like we can't decide if we need to put on the air conditioner or like put the heater back on. It's just like this this weird uh, it's this weird state of weather right now. So, uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's kind of kind of where we are right now. It was um, like feels like not more than three days ago, like 45. And then today it was in the 80s. So it's. It's a uh, you know, confusing situation. I was going to ask you another question, too, about Iowa, but I'm going to hold that off until the end. So when I'm searching for something <laughs> later, remind me. Okay. 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 I'll, I'll try to remember. What a tease that was. But uh, today we're going to be talking about expected points 
um, which if you are new to the site or new to the concept, basically what we are doing during the season is for every play that a player um, accumulates fantasy points on based upon the particular situation of that play, the down, the distance, um, and a whole other variety of things that we can control for, we determine on average, the amount of points that a player of that position would earn on that particular play. And we track those for players all throughout the season across every play to determine on average, given the opportunity that they had, and again, the specifics of it, the fantasy points that we'd expect a player to earn. Now, during the season, as we talked about, these are very useful because not only can you gauge the opportunity me say that again as the cat has hit the microphone into my mouth yes phoebe and henry are here um the expected points are useful during the season because you can gauge a player's opportunity and the quality of that opportunity and especially um sometimes you'll see players that are really high on expected points and through the first couple of weeks it hasn't really manifested and then later on you'll see variants kind of swing in the right direction for them and they really catch up so sometimes looking backward uh, with these metrics can help you look ahead to the next season. And one really cool thing, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, is in the Rotoviz screener, you can search things on a team level. So for this podcast, I compiled some expected points numbers on a team level. So you can see which teams had the highest expected points going to their wide receivers, to their running backs, and what have you. Um, Matt, does that seem like a good kind of synopsis of how expected points work? Or do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. So um, there are different ways of thinking about um, like expected points or like expected value off of a, a particular play. And so um, like ESPN and other places have particular metrics that they've created uh, based on the opportunities um, that players get uh, and they adjust for down and distance and uh, game uh, like game script right. uh, and things like that. Uh, and so the original uh, expected like fantasy point, uh, like expected metric that Rotov has created uh, years ago um, is similar to those and that it adjusts for um, place on the field. Uh, and so for any given place on the field where a target uh, or a touch is distributed, um, there are, you know, fantasy points that uh, can be associated with those. Uh, and so it is based on those baseline uh, type of adjustments. So I think it's a, a pretty cool way of looking at um, at fantasy production in general, because you start to get a, a more holistic sense, uh, not necessarily in terms of like how guys have done, um, although you get that too, but you start to get a sense of, uh, whether someone's production has been fluky and how they might produce in the future. Like it's a, I think it's a pretty good way of like using, um, previous information to get a forward looking perspective on how players might do. Yeah. I think that sums it up really well. So before we start looking through some of these results from last season, I do want to take a minute and tell you about an up-and-coming fantasy football company called FFBcast. FFBcast records custom podcasts for your fantasy league 
Right now, they have an ongoing special for their draft recap episodes. One of their hosts will break down your league's draft, critique poor decisions, shower praise on those who earn it. And this year, they've added ADP check-ins with Denny Carter. Denny will give his two cents on where players are drafted relevant to their ADP. FFBcast provides many options when it comes to covering your fantasy league. Their quick clips episodes offer a video option where FFBcast will live stream the recording on their Twitch channel, all while displaying your league's webpage. Don't forget about their weekly recap episodes as well as beginning week one of Let me say that again. Don't forget about their weekly recap episodes as well, beginning week one of the NFL season. They offer the opportunity for you to hire industry experts to make guest appearances on your podcast, which is really cool. You can follow them on Twitter at FFBCast. Check them out on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Then head over to FFBCast.com today for your league's very own custom podcasts. Really cool stuff there. Uh, Definitely check it out. And with that behind us, Matt, let's start looking at some team level expected points. So we know that with the exception of the guys that you're going to be taking in the beginning of the draft, the real studs, lots of times it is very helpful if a player is on a good team. So I want to look at the top five from last season, just kind of digest that, and then we can talk about if we expect these offenses to be ones in which, you know, the majority of players on those teams should be flourishing. So I don't think it should come as any surprise to anybody that the team that led the league in expected points last season was the Kansas City Chiefs. And they didn't just lead it or or just win it. They led by a very significant margin, uh, 1,911 expected points, with the next closest team being Pittsburgh at 1,774. So we've kind of gotten into this a little bit before talking about Patrick Mahomes and the crazy pace that he was on last season. This offense as a whole was so outrageous last year. Can that continue in 2019, or does there have to be some natural uh, regression to the mean? I mean, there there has to be some natural regression um, for a a number of reasons. So I think one, like people are going to like they're going to see Patrick Mahomes coming. You know, they they've seen a year of him. Um, so I think defenses will be better equipped uh, to deal with him in particular and uh, that offense uh, in general. Um, but then also. Uh, at a minimum, I think there are going to be games, multiple games without Tyreek Hill, and he might not be there for the entire season. Um, Sammy Watkins was injured for a portion of the year, but uh, the guy always seems to have health issues. So, like, it's not inconceivable to think that he could be injured for even you know like more games this year than he was <laughs> last year. Like, that's that's possible. Uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, you know, he seems like he's someone still in his prime. Um, and he probably is, but he will be 30 years old this year. It wouldn't be surprising if he slowed down a little bit. Um, Nicole Hardman is someone they're hoping can, uh, kind of fill that Tyree kill void, but, uh, he's someone who's young, uh, still transitioning into the wide receiver position. Uh, definitely not a, a sure thing that they have. Uh, and then, of course, Kareem Hunt is gone. Yep. And even though Damian Williams is a very good pass catching back, um, I don't think he's at the level of Kareem Hunt. 
Uh, he's never been uh, in the NFL a lead back. That's not to say he, he can't do it, but he could also suffer an injury. And after him, uh, it gets pretty thin. So there, like, there are a lot of question marks, even though this is, like, uh, I would say already a top five offense because you have the best quarterback in the league paired with one of the best offensive minds in the league in Andy Reid. So you should still expect this to be a very good offense, but um, even if everything were going well, you would still expect regression just because they had such an outstanding season last year. It's, it's, I don't want to say near impossible, but like it is not statistically likely for a team to be able to do that two years in a row, even if it is like if it is functioning at like close to peak capacity. And I don't know if we can even assume that this offense will function at peak capacity. The thing is, people are going to draft the players in this offense as if they are going to do what they did last year. So Mahomes is going to have a very inflated ADP. The same with Kelsey. Uh, people are probably going to be drafting Watkins pretty aggressively once uh, it becomes official or if it becomes official that Tyreek Hill will miss multiple games. Um, so I think actually now is maybe the time to grab Watkins while people are still a little unsure of what's going on with Tyreek Hill. But there, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty um, with this offense. Uh, and I think people are probably over, uh, over optimistic when it comes to what they will do this year. That's all very true. You you hit on a couple of things that I was going to say, and I think the reason that I find it interesting to bring up the Chiefs in this context is if you are thinking back to last year, yeah, there's a ridiculous amount of opportunity there that we hope will carry forward. Uh, but outside of the players that you mentioned, I don't know if we can really expect much to come out of any of the other players on this team, even if we do see a situation where some of them get to rise up the ranks because of Tyreek Hill being gone. And I think the other thing that we might see is that with Tyreek Hill gone, this total and as you know, the offense being as explosive as explosive as it is it might not be able to carry that forward because I do think that there's such a difference when you have a guy like Tyreek Hill, even though we're looking at very small differences in 40 times in overall speed, I do think that's going to make a big difference. So with Hardman, I can see that ADP getting overinflated um, as well as the rest of these players. Having said that, I think the one that I'd be the most inclined to um, draft even if they're a couple of spots higher than their ADP. Well, it depends on how you look at it. Because if Watkins goes up too much, like I think he might, then he's probably pricing himself out. Whereas if you're looking at a guy like Travis Kelsey and you have to take him maybe four or so picks higher than his ADP, that's not a big issue. I think he's probably the player that I'm the least concerned about. Uh, Mahomes, I still expect to crush it, but you know, you're, you might even be needing to draft him like in round four this year in a lot of leagues. Yeah, here's a way of kind of putting all this in perspective. So we talked about um, fantasy points, uh, fantasy points expected, like expected fantasy points. But Rotoviz also has a metric, fantasy points over expectation, yeah. where you can see the extent to which a team outperformed uh, what it would be expected to do with its opportunities. Uh, and so, on the one hand, like it's a marker of a team that is uh, above average. But on the other hand, a team cannot um, be expected to outperform expectations uh, over 
like over the long term, like to drastically outperform expectations. Like you should expect teams that are consistently above average to stay above average. That is just kind of like their mean. Yeah. But at some point they end up coming back down to earth. So Kansas city last year on a per game basis um, for passing uh, uh, fantasy points expected, they outperformed by 8.3 fantasy points. That was number one in the league. And then uh, you see something similar for receiving fantasy points. They outperformed by 15.3 PPR fantasy points. That is like, <laughs> that is out. I mean, that's, that's just unreal. It's outrageous. Yep. Uh, obviously that was number one in the league. Um, that will have to come down. So right. you just kind of have to keep that in mind. Um, I mean, as like, as important as, uh, expected fantasy points are, I think the fantasy points over expectation, like that is really the money metric. It, exactly. Yeah. And actually I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think what, what I actually kind of mispresented what I wanted to get at. So the Chiefs led in overall PPR points produced. They were actually third, though, in expected points. So they had a delta of 401 total points above expectation, with the closest team being Seattle behind them at 305. Now, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One being, especially with the receiving points, if you look at points per target and other efficiency metrics, especially at the wide receiver position, it is very rare to find players that consistently beat um, a number of thresholds related to efficiency. And Tyreek Hill is one of these only wide receivers that we see beating these very high thresholds year over year. Uh, And that probably factors into expected points. Now, the other thing too with Seattle that I have seen in the past is that Russell Wilson always does manage to be pretty efficient and is one of the few exceptions, as was Doug Baldwin. Of course, last year, it wasn't uh, Doug Baldwin as much as it was Tyler Lockett. So we might talk about Tyler Lockett later on. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's looking at the delta that's huge. So when you see a number like that, 401 total points over, we know that has to come down. And when we're splitting hairs with these top players, it definitely is something we need to factor in. We're not saying by any stretch here that the Chiefs are going to have you know, a significant amount of regression that's going to make these players unattractive. It's just that you can't expect the 2018 production in 2019. Yep. So... The team that uh, had the next highest uh, total expected expected fantasy points were... Okay, so Pittsburgh with 1,652 fantasy points expected led the league. We talked about Pittsburgh last week, uh, but the interesting thing here is, is it does go to show the tremendous opportunity that is there. Give me... Your outlook on this team with a slightly older Ben Roethlisberger, no Le'Veon Bell, no Antonio Brown. Is this offense going to remain in this this stratosphere of top five? Yeah, I think it probably will because, I mean, the difference like in Roethlisberger's age is not really that significant. Um, obviously the big thing is the absence of Antonio Brown. Um, and that, I mean, that's not insignificant, but Juju is such a good wide receiver that I think they will be able to move forward. Uh, and then they have the, uh, progression of James Washington going from his first year to his second year, the addition of Deontay Johnson, uh, through free agency. And then also, uh, sorry, not through free agency, uh, through the draft yep. and then Dante Moncrief through free agency. Uh, and then 
I think it will be a net positive for the team to have more Vance McDonald um, and less Jesse James. Uh, And then, of course, you have the progression of uh, Jalen Samuels in his second year. So, I I mean, they're going to miss Antonio Brown, um, but Roethlisberger is still a very good quarterback who still knows the system very well, and he has continuity with the players there, and they can incorporate the new ones. I think they will still be a top-five offense. Yeah, me too. So I think the biggest question is figuring out which receiver on that team not named Juju is going to be the one that's going to get the 100 targets as the wide receiver too. You know, it feels weird. Well, I don't know if it should feel weird, but I actually personally think it's going to be Moncrief, not Washington. Where do you stand on that? I don't think there's going to be one. Okay. Uh, I think it's going to be spread out between the rest of those guys. Enough that it makes them unattractive? Uh, no, I mean, not that it makes them unattractive, um, because I don't think, I guess it just sort of depends. I mean, I think it, it, it's spread out enough. Yeah. Let me refer. I'm doing a horrible job of phrasing this. I think it will be spread out enough between them that it makes all of them probably mediocre options for redraft purposes, but like it, it does make all of them options for DFS, um, and it makes all of them options for um, these kind of explosive uh, performances that you'll get every now and again. Yeah, that's definitely a fair point. And I think that uh, they, at some point, will see these guys become popular waiver wire ads after a big week here or a big week there. Uh, another team that you might not expect making their way in here is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who actually uh, were third behind the Colts. But I, I'm just been—I've been interested to kind of look at this Bucks team. Um, they did have a positive delta of 220 points, which was one of the best that we saw in the league as well. So this is a team that is making some changes. Um, was very efficient last year in beating their expected points and i actually was not expecting to see that they had that much positive opportunity for players in this offense um we have bruce arians getting into the fold here apparently brashad perriman (laughs) is now on this team and is an exciting third option as a wide receiver which i don't know if i buy where do you stand on the bucks yeah, um, it's interesting. I think I, I think at one point last year, late in the season, maybe for the entire season, they were number one in fantasy points to wide receivers. And um, a lot of that obviously had to do with just the downfield aggressiveness of the scheme that they were in, uh, primarily because of offensive coordinator Todd Monken, uh, who now is gone. Um, but yeah, Bruce Arians coming in uh, is someone who is very much still like in that same vein of looking to attack downfield. And this is a really good uh I mean, just such a talented pass catching group, like all the way around. I mean, obviously not at the running back position, but with the wide receivers they have, uh, and then the tight ends that they have too, OJ Howard and Cameron Bray, like they're prop that's probably the best combination of tight ends in the league. Um, and then Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, I'm I mean Brashad Perriman, I guess he's fine as a number three option there. Um, but um you know, they, they do have some other wide receivers who could also emerge. So it's, I really actually, I I'm kind of fascinated by this group. Um, they were sneakily good last year and I don't know why they actually wouldn't be close to as good this year. 
Um, I mean, maybe the the transition from uh, from Todd Mon- Todd Monken to Bruce Arians will be enough, and then also. Um, I mean, it is possible that Winston could explode, uh, and there is no Ryan Fitzpatrick there to pick up everything and kind of be that, uh, DJF guy who just throws it down the field, uh, every chance he gets. Um, like that was a significant source of production for the team last year, but I'm still pretty enthusiastic about this unit. Yeah, it's a good point on, um, Fitzpatrick because he definitely did contribute significantly to those totals that we saw last year. But as you said, down the stretch, uh, last season, we saw, very high um, production too coming out of the wide receivers there. And I think that some of the negative thoughts that we have about Jameis might kind of shape a bias in our mind, but I'm actually expecting, especially with Evans uh, and Godwin, I feel really good about them heading into this season. And they're one of those teams that even if that efficiency drops off and even if that opportunity shrinks a little bit, those two guys should still be very solid. And we did see Adam Humphreys get a fair of a, uh, a fair amount of involvement last season, and I'm not sure that that necessarily isn't going to find itself spreading in some way towards Evans and Godwin. Which, if it does, that's a tremendous pickup for them there. Uh, yeah, and then also like uh, a chunk of what used to go to Humphreys in the middle of the field, I think could go to OJ Howard. Yep. So even though um, Bruce Arians hasn't traditionally used a tight end all that much, I think it's very possible that Howard could kind of function in a like para tight end type of type of role. And one thing that also I think will benefit the passing game a lot, um, just as it did last year, is that Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones are not that good at running the ball. Um, and they might just skew towards the passing game a little bit more because they don't have strong options at the running back position. Yeah, that's a very fair point. And I think that um, one thing that we saw a lot last season, uh, at least I did when I was looking through the weekly stat explorer that we had, was that they definitely have to start to rely on the receivers. And we kept ourselves looking at Peyton Barber all throughout the season, waiting for things to start to happen for him, given this really solid uh, opportunity that he was had based upon expected points. And he never managed for that to manifest. Uh, Of course, though, I should point out that he actually had one of the highest negative deltas. And if we do believe that things should kind of regress he might be able to get a little bit better next season, but I don't think that that really changes things from the perspective of how useful he'll be to the team in real life. But before we close out, do either of the running backs that you mentioned garner any interest from you heading into this season? Yeah. I mean, Ronald Jones, (laughs) he's, you know, yeah, I'll just, and your cat obviously didn't like what I had to say. Yeah, no, he hated it. Uh, no, I mean, he's, he's young. Um, he was a second round pick. He's with a new play caller. Um, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not going to give up on a guy just because he didn't do anything as a rookie. Although I, I mean, I'm not expecting him to like, I think the odds are that he will do nothing, but he is, uh, so cheap in drafts that, uh, if you, if you draft him and he actually ends up producing, he could be a league winner. Yeah, so this brings me to the point here, which is don't give up on a player just because they didn't live up to expectations or even produce in their rookie season. If you believed, if you really believed in the guy coming into the league 
unless they were just given every opportunity and couldn't produce, I don't think you should give up on them. If you felt that strongly, ride it out the second season. Um, having said that, for me, I didn't really have much belief in Jones at all um, heading into the league. Uh, but, you know, if we don't see people wanting to go out and acquire him this year, I think I'll still try to add him because this offense does, at least to me, look like it has the potential uh, where if things came to pass and they worked out for him, he could be a very solid player. player yeah, to have, I mean, mentioned. I should be clear that, like, I can easily see the case for why he fails. Like, he was really unimpressive as a rookie. And coming into the league, uh, he didn't have any pass-catching uh, chops, and he doesn't seem to have acquired any since he entered the league, and that's not good. Uh, and then also, he's not as athletic as people were expecting him to be. But that said, he was a second-round pick who played as a 21-year-old rookie, and he was still very productive for three straight years in college. Like Those big-picture things tend to translate. Yeah, that's fair. So you mentioned how solid of a tight end duo they have in Tampa Bay. One could probably counter, though, and say that the Jack Doyle-Eric Ebron combo in Indianapolis, another team that was right up there in the mix for expected points last season and looks like they should only be getting better, uh, is the strongest in the league. I'm expecting that you're going to tell me that you're feeling really good about the Indianapolis Colts heading into this season. Yeah, they are going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, they're, yeah, but I mean, they're they're really good. I like from a team building perspective, everything that they have been doing the past couple of seasons. And uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, Ebron and Doyle, they are, they're probably, meh, actually, I don't know. I mean, because I, th- I think Doyle and Bray are pretty close to a wash. And I know that's, People are probably valuing, not probably, they definitely are valuing Doyle more than Brait, but um, I don't know, Doyle has had a lot of injury concerns, like it wouldn't be surprising if Doyle and Brait kind of were similar this year, Yeah. and Howard I think is um, as good as Ebron was last year, a lot of his production was touchdown driven, um, I think he will regress some, and I think OJ Howard will continue to improve, um, but Going back to the uh, the Colts in general, one thing that feeds into the regression from Ebron is that they have so many other weapons that they've added this year. Uh, adding Paris Campbell, uh, who I think will be a starter, maybe not right away, but definitely by the second half of the year and, and, and a solid contributor. Uh, and then Devin Funches yep. as someone who can play in the slot uh, and also play a little bit outside, but he's best in the slot. And I think he could cannibalize a lot of the targets that would have gone to Eric Ebron. Uh, and then, uh, of course, T.Y. Hilton as the the mainstay in that offense. Like, there's a lot to be excited about. And then you have the uh, what I'm expecting to be a, a pretty solid uh, season from the running back group in general. It's hard to kind of... It's hard to decipher exactly how that production will be split, but I think a lot of the running production will go to Mac. Yep. A lot of the receiving production uh, is going to go to uh, Naheem Hines. Uh, and then, you know, you can kind of cut it however you want from there. But uh, it is just an all around really good skill position group. Absolutely. Uh, so, from a running back perspective or from a rushing expected points perspective last season, they were middle of the road. Having said that, I think that this is going to be a pretty competitive team. I like the option of getting Funches or Paris Campbell onto my redraft teams, but I also think that uh, for Marlon Mack, 
they win a couple more games, there could be really solid opportunity. Um, we saw some very good stretches from Mac last year. So th- this is an offense that overall I'm very excited about. Uh, and when you look at these these numbers, which they actually were not one of the highest teams in terms of efficiency last season, uh, they came in at 10. So... I think that where they were is the type of spot that they could carry that forward. We'll have to see, but uh, I definitely feel good about the Colts. So just to hit some of the teams that came in at the bottom, just to give people a sense here, Baltimore um, at 1,438 was ahead of Washington with 1,213. The Jets at 1,242. Buffalo at 1,209. Um, you also had, uh, Jacksonville was pretty low there, um, in the 1300s and then Arizona at 1,154. Any of these teams, um, I don't have this on the sheet, but do any of those teams that really had trouble producing last season, do you expect any of these guys to turn around? Yeah. I mean, I think Arizona is the, the clear, uh, candidate there just in part because you have a new coach new quarterback Uh, I think you mentioned Washington they also might be slightly interesting uh, in that they have a a new quarterback Um, Jacksonville potentially also because they have a new quarterback a new play caller Um, they've I mean it's just it's hard to know with, with Jacksonville if they're going to still be as run heavy as they were but Arizona is the clear team that I'm interested in there exactly you would have, yeah. if even if they would have done nothing yep you would have expected them to have some progression um but given the fact that they have revamped their roster so much um I think like in a good way uh I'm really excited to see what they're gonna do yeah I think it was very interesting when I saw that because normally this would have been a big thing to talk about but we've covered Arizona so much that this is just another thing to add to that bucket there I actually with my sorting did not realize that Miami actually had the lowest expected points last season of just 1,090. But interestingly, they actually went 140 points over expectation. Um, yeah, I don't really know had, like, what to think of that. <laughs> they, they had um, a really slow moving offense, but before all of their players got injured, they had this uh, like incredible streak of uh, games where they were just getting these long random touchdowns from Albert Wilson and uh, Kenny Stills and Jakeem Grant, um, like totally unsustainable. Uh, and I think if Gase were there, we would see uh, really significant regression in efficiency once again this year. Uh, and and Gase is in New York. Um, with the Jets, he is someone I'm really not interested in at all. So uh, I hate to say like, oh, I'm going to be fading the Jets because there are players I like there, but um, I I wish someone else would have gone to the Jets. Yeah, I know that or that Robbie Anderson could find his way out of New York. Um, I, yeah. w- I would like that. Uh, but before we continue along here, I want to take a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. Well, it may be the offseason for most people. It definitely is not for our listeners or the players over at the FFPC, and especially not for Rotoviz subscribers, uh, thanks to Mike Beer's Best Ball Tools. But if you're a diehard who's ready to draft now, the FFPC Best Ball Leagues are, are 
are already open for the 2019 season with drafts forming daily starting at just a $35 entry fee. Boy, I'm, I'm struggling tonight. Are you a fan of the Dynasty format? Over the last few years, the FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious dynasty players they now have almost 300 active dynasty leagues starting at 77 dollars and even have a five thousand dollar entry dynasty league and the best part is not a single dynasty league has folded in nine years limited orphan teams are available for purchase right now and brand new startup dynasty leagues will be opening shortly don't miss the ffpc experience Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. All right, Matt, let's take a look at some individual players. Oh, but actually I should ask, did you go and get some water during that read? No, I didn't. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, so you got to hear me struggle my way through it. Uh, Let's talk about, though, some of these players that had the highest positive deltas. I think we've kind of hit it enough with Mahomes, but he was at 132 points over expectation last season. Leading all players, Tyler Lockett came in at 96. Lockett does feel like the type of player that could carry his efficiency from season to season and we've seen it before with receivers in Seattle which is kind of odd because it the Seahawks are not a team that wants to build themselves around the passing game of course perhaps some of the efficiency is because the opportunities are limited and it allows the high-end variance to manifest more um but we have DK Metcalf coming in I don't know if that is really going to cloud your opinion of Lockett, who should be the presumptive wide receiver one with Baldwin now retired. Yeah, I would expect for Lockett's uh, efficiency to decline. Um, It just, I feel like it kind of has to, but as you mentioned, because this is a team that doesn't throw all that much, uh, when they do choose to throw the ball, they're doing it in kind of maximized situations, but I would expect him to be less efficient, but because of the departure of Doug Baldwin, I do think he will see, I mean, it would be hard for him not to see more than the 70 targets and 13 carries he had in 16 games last year. Right. So like we would expect him to be used more heavily. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know if he's going to have – I think it will be hard for him to get 10 touchdowns again, but I do think he has a pretty good chance of getting over 1,000 scrimmage yards. 
Um, I think that a lot of the production that DK Metcalf is going to get, uh, let me rephrase that, a lot of the opportunities he's going to get, some of that <laughs> would come out of the um, the the pie that Doug Baldwin otherwise would have had. Which but was then a 141 lot of that, expected points last year. Yeah, and then I think a lot of that is also going to come out of David Moore. Um, I, I think Moore is going to be kind of the, the clear loser in this situation with the addition of DK Metcalf. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit because I wanted to find some way to get more into my redraft rankings, um, making it into, you know, the 240 that would be displayed on the site, but I just, I could not find a way to get him in. And it sounds like you're kind of in the same spot, a player that perhaps you like him as a player, but it just doesn't look like a situation is going to unfold where he's going to be able to be usable. Yeah. I mean, I think he's the clear number three at this point. Uh, maybe not even the number three. Maybe at this point he's the the number four because uh, Gary Jennings could potentially take his job. But at best, he's the number three receiving option in a team that I still expect to be pretty run heavy. Like, that's just not someone worth investing in. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. So actually, um, let's put it like this. So teams that ran the ball the most last or that had the highest rushing expected points. It was uh, Baltimore at 332, New England at 329, New Orleans at 314. So you have obviously some teams here that made the playoffs that were pretty good. Seattle at 311, Rams at 295. Uh, But if we kind of flip that coin there, we see Seattle, unlike um, some of these other teams that are okay in passing expected points, Seattle's all the way down um at the bottom sorry everybody i had that filtered the wrong way if i go largest to smallest i will find that they came in just 652 expected points passing behind um teams like tennessee and miami and this is very um interesting because overall the play volume that those teams had would have been would have been less um so yeah, that's just a, a receiving core that you do not want to have any part of. So that was Lockett. Um, going back, though, to just individual players, one that I find particularly interesting because we are very high on him at the site this season is Christian McCaffrey. He went 66 points over expectation last year. Really, though, had so much opportunity 178 expected points in PPR as a receiver against 137 as a rusher it's that mix that makes him a very attractive option for this season would you have any pause for concern though or do you think that because we can expect that mix to continue we don't have to be concerned with him failing to outplay his expected points so heavily again Yeah, um, I don't have any concern in terms of the opportunities that he's going to get, like the market share. Like he was just, I mean, he was playing literally almost every snap last year for the offense and nothing has changed with the backfield. Like he is still clearly the guy, like he owns all of the backfield work. The only question now is whether uh, the quality of opportunities is going to be as good as it was last year. Because with Cam Newton uh, recovering from the, the shoulder injury, like there are some concerns as to whether that offense will be as dynamic as it was last year. So it could be a situation where McCaffrey is still 
getting, you know, like 97% of the backfield work, but it's just not as good as it was last year. Like the offense isn't as dynamic, so he's not scoring as many touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a possibility, and the touchdown point is a pretty crucial one to bring up. Um, other players, we talked about Michael Thomas last week. He was 68 above. We do we expect that to come down. You probably are a little bit more concerned than I am. Tyreek Hill, as I mentioned, uh, was 80 points over expectation. You had Matt Ryan at 84. Melvin Gordon at 81. Um, and then Mike Evans actually also pops in this list at 65. So he was... Um, 10th highest. I know we already talked about the Bucks, but given the debate that you and Fantasy Mansion had last year, I'm going to give you another chance to just kind of pontificate on your thoughts on Mike Evans. I mean, I don't know if I need to really talk about Mike Evans. I don't know why anyone would be down on Mike Evans. Like, he's not as efficient as he could be, but as we just, as you just pointed out, he was pretty darn efficient yep. last year. Uh, he's one of only three guys in NFL history to have over a thousand yards receiving in each of his first five seasons. Like, the, one is Randy Moss, the other one is AJ Green. Like, Green is going to be a Hall of Famer in all probability. Uh, Mike Evans is along a Hall of Fame trajectory. That's not to say he's going to get there, but uh, he really couldn't have done much more for the first half decade of his career uh, to show that he is a legit, like, number one type of receiver in the NFL. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if he's going to be as efficient this upcoming year. He probably won't be, but he's still probably going to get a lot of targets, uh, and he's, uh, you know, still going to have an offensive coordinator uh, or offensive play caller who uh, is totally fine with his quarterback taking shots down the field, and that really plays to Mike Evans' strength. So, yeah, I, I think he's just as good of an option this year as he was last year. Yeah, very nice. Um, the first player on this list, though, when we look at players that really crushed versus their ADP, besides Tyler Lockett, that is not a player that has been a star season in and season out, is uh, Chargers receiver Mike Williams, who went 62 points over expectation last season. This is, you know, we probably would have been a little bit concerned about him last year as. We had a couple of high touchdown games. Mike Williams, we have to assume the ADP is going to rise this season. It might get pretty high heading into draft season. Where are you on a player like him? I'm going kind of back and forth. Yeah. Um, so there's Hunter Henry coming back into the offense, returning from injury. Uh, we should expect to see him get a lot of targets, but at the same time, um, he's going to be getting a lot of the targets that would have been going to Antonio Gates anyway. Uh, and then Tyrell Williams is gone. Uh, and I don't think that Travis Benjamin as the number three receiver in the offense is really going to do a lot to get those targets. I think a lot of those are going to go to Mike Williams. Um, so I'm expecting, uh, I mean... <laughs> I'm expecting him to progress. Uh, I like I, I need to do the projections for him. Like that's it's actually on my list tonight to do the projections for the Chargers. Um, so after I come through this, I'm I'm gonna have like a stronger sense of yeah. it. But like I want to be really aggressive with him. Um, he's not a typical rotovizzy type of guy, but they have a really set role for how they want to use him. Um, 
I thought he was pretty dynamic in college. Uh, and I don't know. I, I think it could be a pretty big season for him. Like, I think he's, I want to, I want to like him more than Keenan Allen. Like, I know I shouldn't like, okay. So what fantasy mansion is to Chris Godwin, like in relation to Keenan Allen, that's basically <laughs> what I am to Mike Williams in relation. Oh, wait, did I say Keenan Allen to, yeah. uh, to, uh, Mike Evans? That's what I am, uh, in Mike Williams in relation to Keenan Allen. I, like, I hear you. I, I want to like Mike Williams more than I like Keenan Allen, like Keenan Allen, uh, I don't think he's really all that dynamic of a player. Uh, he's, I think, basically just like a uh, a catch and fall type of guy. Um, I don't know. Mike Williams, I think, is just a, a much better all around player. Okay, yeah, which was kind of Mansion's point. Um, he was saying, yeah. So we weren't really talking fantasy perspective with him. We were. He was saying that as an overall wide receiver, which. You know, th- th- we we could revisit this with him later, but yeah. I-, I see what you're getting at there with Allen. But for clarity here for everybody, from a fantasy perspective, you don't actually – do you think that there's a, a closed gap between the two to where Williams could challenge <laughs> Allen? Yeah, I think it actually is possible. I mean – Keenan Allen will, I'll just say like in all probability, Keenan Allen will score more fantasy points than Mike Williams, but like it it really would not surprise me on a per target basis. Williams is clearly the more efficient player at some point. It wouldn't be surprising if Philip Rivers, who likes to throw the ball deep anyway, and that's like where Williams wins, like he wins in contested situations. It wouldn't be surprising if Rivers is like, hey, every time I throw the ball to Mike Williams, things go better than when I throw the ball to Keenan Allen. It wouldn't be surprising if he just started throwing it more to Mike Williams. So Keenan Allen, I feel like now for maybe three seasons... I'm getting excited about him and it just doesn't quite live up to it. But when I look at his 2017 numbers and his 2018 numbers, I'm not sure why I feel like that. It must be that the touchdowns are pretty low. So yards in 2017, 1,393 in 2018, 1,196, just six touchdowns in each of those seasons. But uh, as a rookie in 2013, eight touchdowns, 1,046 yards, bringing me to the question of have we seen the best version of Keenan Allen that we're ever going to see. Yes. I mean, he's only 27. We're ta- we talking about a guy who is basically glorified Jarvis Landry. Like that's, that's what he is. Like he's a guy who is best in the slot, um, gets fed a lot of volume and doesn't actually really do all that much in terms of yards or touchdowns with his targets. Like what am I supposed to be excited about with him? Uh, I guess that he plays with Philip Rivers in a team that should be pretty good as the wide receiver one uh, prior seasons of production, I guess. But I, I see your point, and, and this is not necessarily me trying to advocate for Allen. It's one of these players I'm still trying to find a reason to keep coming back. It's probably that the 1,000 yards is a reasonable expectation. Yeah, I mean, he he's a near lock for 1,000 yards. Um, if If one of these guys were to score... 13 touchdowns which one would it be like oh it's gonna be Williams yeah it'd be Williams yeah I think yeah I think Williams is likelier to score 13 touchdowns and if he scores 13 touchdowns how many yards do you think he's going to get man if he scores 13 I think he's probably around that 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 thousand mark 925 maybe to like you know yeah 1050 like I think 
Yeah, I think if he gets 13 touchdowns, he's probably around 1,000 yards. I think Keenan Allen will probably be around 1,200 yards, yep. maybe, and maybe around like five to eight touchdowns. Like, I think Mike Williams has a much higher upside, and like, I think he has a chance of hitting that upside, and he's much cheaper. You know, so like, I, I so the efficiency thing, like, it's easy to see the guys who are regression candidates, and Williams obviously is that, but like, like a constitutive part of his skill set is the ability to score touchdowns. Like that's just kind of who he is. He's a touchdown scorer. Um, so I think at some point, if he's able to continue to score touchdowns, the yards are going to come. Yeah. All fair points. I'm going to read down the top 10 in receiving expected points from last season. Cause I think that there's a couple of interesting takeaways. You had Julio Jones at one with two, 82 Antonio Brown at 280 Devonte Adams at 278 DeAndre Hopkins at 272 Juju Smith-Schuster at 271 through those first couple of names it's just interesting that or I guess it's, I, I'll say differently it should be no surprise that those are the players at the top with maybe the surprise being Juju Smith-Schuster but you see those 280 fantasy points from Antonio Brown going away. It's easy to see why Juju Smith-Schuster, who was fifth on this list, is so exciting for this year. Adam Thielen comes in behind Juju, 254.3. Now, he beat his expectation by 50 points, unlike Stefan Diggs, who came in at 10 and was only 11 points over. I think this is a large reason why, for me, this year, the Fal- or the Vikings wide receiver that I want is Diggs. I don't know if that's going to be opposite public perception. Uh, I'm assuming Rotoviz will be behind Diggs, but I will be this season as well. Then you had Jarvis Landry behind Diggs, but I skipped Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz, who were in the top 10. George Kittle then comes in at 15. And behind George Kittle, we don't see the next tight end until Jimmy Graham at 48. I just listed off a bunch of things. I will let you parse out of that what you found interesting. Well, I mean, um, I, I think we've talked about this, even if we haven't. It's something that's floating around the industry. Just as there uh, was a big three at the tight end position last year, uh, there's a big three at tight end this year. And if you don't get Kelsey, Ertz, or Kittle, um, man, it's uh, you're kind of throwing darts after that. Uh, and maybe you, uh, you go aggressive at number four and you take OJ Howard and you kind of hope that he can break into that, uh, that top cohort, uh, or maybe you just wait a long time at the position. But, um, the fact that there is like this cluster of the three at the top, um, I think it means you have to have some sort of strategy about what you're doing at the tight end position. Yeah. And, and a major reason for this is. They are right there in the thick of it with the best receivers in the league for what they're seeing in their opportunity. So it creates a whole different dynamic, whereas sometimes what we would have seen with Graham or Gronk in the past was there was this void or this gap between the top players at the tight end position and other tight ends, but we weren't always seeing this huge gap Um, or to the level where, and sometimes I think Graham and Gronk in different seasons did get into the points per game range of, say, the top five receivers. But with Kelsey and Ertz, I mean, I think it's a very real possibility that we could see situations where week to week they'd be finishing as, you know, a top seven 
wide receiver. So I have been a person that has not always been on board with going and taking that tight end early, but I do think that um, I might think about it this season as it's just so hard to look past. I mean, Travis Kelsey had the exact same number of expected points as Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas is a guy that I might take as a first round pick. So how can I make this statement then that I would not take Travis Kelsey as a first round pick? That's kind of the environment we're in now. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, Kelsey in the second, it's, I mean, that's a thing that people are doing, like they're targeting Kelsey in the second and, um, I don't disagree with it. You know, I, I tend to want to wait on tight ends. Um, I think I would maybe prefer Kittle. Um, but there is, there is a lot of regression opportunity with Kittle too. Um, like a lot of his production was fueled by run after the catch production. And I think he, I think he is talented after the catch, but we probably shouldn't expect him to be as productive after the catch, uh, this year as he was last year. Yeah, that, that's certainly fair. Final player I want to talk about um, before we close out tonight is Kenny Galladay, who uh, actually comes in at 19. He had 191 expected points last season. Golden Tate was there for a portion of the season. Matthew Stafford had a down year. I, without doing my Detroit Lions projections, don't really know what to expect from this team. Marvin Jones is still there. He's a bit of a wild card in his own right. Where do you stand on uh, not only Galladay, but I guess the Detroit Lions receiving core? Yeah, I honestly Hawkinson's don't know what to added make. Your boy TJ Hawkinson, so. Yeah, I mean, but I'm not expecting that much from Hawkinson yeah. in year one. Um I, I still think that Galladay is going to be the guy who gets the most targets. I prefer him to Marvin Jones. Um, but I think it's going to be a pretty uninspiring offense in general, which is unfortunate because I, I do like Galladay quite a bit and think he's pretty talented. Um, and I, I do think he has the uh, capability of getting around 1,200 receiving yards. Um, but I don't know if he's going to be a, um, let me phrase it differently. I'm not expecting him to be a prolific touchdown scorer just because I don't think that offense is going to be doing a whole lot of scoring. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same, in, in the same place. And normally I've been interested in, you know, a number of players on the Lions, I think this year the only guy might be on Johnson, and we'll have to see uh, where where the market kind of stands on him. Uh, okay, that's enough for the football. Question I've been meaning to ask you, what is the wildlife in Iowa like? And I guess where you're located, are you in a more rural area? Um, I don't really know if there's big cities in Iowa. <laughs> What's it like? Uh, I live in Cedar Rapids, which is one of the bigger cities okay. in Iowa. Uh, if you had to live in Iowa, I think Cedar Rapids is a really good place to live. In fact, let me rephrase that. Uh, I think in the country, Cedar Rapids is actually a pretty decent place to live. Okay. Uh, I'm not, I'm not even joking. Um, it's, uh, the cost of living is really cheap. Yep. Um, but you know, you are in an actual city, like there are things to do, but, uh, so Cedar Rapids is on the East side of the state on the West side of the state is Des Moines, mm -hmm. uh, which is, I believe the capital. Um, I should probably know I'm that, shocked but, that you uh, actually don't 
know for certain what the capital of I mean, Iowa is. I want to say it like is Des Moines, I'm like but nine, I'm just shocked. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to say I was like 99.5% sure it was Des Moines, but I mean, like you never know. Like I don't, I don't really pay attention to stuff like that. So hold on. But, can uh, I actually, anyway. can I stop you there for a second? Then we can get yeah. back to it. Uh, Cause this is, a, this might be even be the more curious question. If I was on who wants to be a millionaire, which I'm assuming uh, uh, somewhere out there, they're still doing that show. And I had a phone, a friend, <laughs> I'm a, I think that I would have no. you on my list of potential people no. to call. Would that not be appropriate? That would be a massive mistake. Really? Yeah. I I have a very narrow base of knowledge. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's fair. All right. So getting back to uh, Cedar Rapids. Yeah. So anyway, uh, in terms of the wildlife, uh, I don't know because I don't really go hiking all that much. But like it's uh, it's pretty much corn. You can't really call that wildlife, yep. but that's uh, that's what is in the area. Uh, if you drive literally just like a mile out of town, you're surrounded by corn. Um, the uh, field for Field of Dreams uh, is, I think, less than an hour away. That's cool. Sur- surrounded by corn. Um, you know, sometimes like you see a deer and yep. stuff. And like it's it's a pretty area. You know, like there's the Iowa River that is nearby. Um, but uh, yeah, so... I, wildlife uh, i don't know there there are animals okay sometimes so, sometimes i look out my window and i see bunnies okay you know, that's cool all right that's kind of always curious about so wait, are you guys in an apartment a condo a house like do you have a backyard yeah we have a backyard um we have a house um cedar rapids i mean okay so i say it's a city and it is but like you can drive pretty much kind of anywhere yep you want to in cedar rapids within like 15 minutes so we live kind of like on the the northern side of Cedar Rapids, but like if we drove like I don't know five to seven minutes, we would be on the outskirts of Cedar Rapids. Gotcha. So the thing that I was curious about, so you're familiar with New Hampshire, having been in Portsmouth, it's like yes. wh- where I am in southern New Hampshire. You're at your house, like you look out of my backyard, like you could have, you know, you're gonna have deer. There could be turkey. Yeah. Like, you know, random things like you could have. I did, I did see a wild turkey walking by, like walking through our yard uh, last week. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that just kind of, I had no agenda with this or nowhere to go. I was actually curious just as to what it is like in Iowa. That's a section of the country that I have never been in. My final question on the wildlife, snakes. Is there a snake population? Have you ever seen a snake outside? Uh, I haven't seen a snake. Um, if I did, I don't know what I would do. I would, I would probably just back away, or maybe I would just uh, run at it and attack the shit out of it. Uh, one of one of those two things. I I really doubt that it would be the second thing. You you never know. It would depend on what I was wearing. To be honest, I guess it might depend like, on the snake too. Um, well, yeah, I mean, like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll put it like this. Like, I do not like snakes. I don't know why it's, it's built into my genetic code that I am anti snake. Um, and actually it's a human thing to dislike. It snakes. is. Well, so actually like, they think that, that I mean, human facial recognition, biblical. they think that, that there's, I forget exactly what I was reading on this, but there's a connection between like, you know, how good humans are at recognizing faces and things. And there's a link to that in snakes, but, but continue. I just like it's biblical, like it's yeah. it's mythological for humans to hate snakes. Yeah, it is. Like you know, so uh, yeah. I mean, 
I, I grew up in Texas, so oh, that's there right. are snakes. There, there are snakes there. You know, you you kind of get used to it. But yeah, I mean, I hate snakes. Okay, so snakes in Texas, like how often are you encountering them? I mean, not all that often, but it's not like uncommon. And most of the snakes, you know, like 19 out of 20 times, it's a totally harmless yeah. snake. But, you know, depending on where you are. And like I grew up in a somewhat uh, rural area, like... I mean, yeah, you could see a rattlesnake. Yeah. yeah. See, because I wouldn't like I picture myself if I live in, in one of these environments, just like every time I step outside, I just picture myself stepping on a snake, which I know isn't right. But for that reason, I am not going pretty much below maybe 500 miles of where I am currently located in the world. <laughs> I've seen maps of the, how the snake population is expanding upward. And, um, you know, I've told my wife there's a point on that map where if I see it starting to get red, we're going even more nor- north and we might end up in Canada. Uh, are you going to propose that you guys build a wall um, and become <laughs> like snake the, 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 the snake's watch? You know, I hadn't thought about that yet, but um, that is I, I might have to propose that. Yeah, I, I just will not do it. I, I will, you know, this aggression from these snakes will not stand, man. My roommate from college was literally like an expert snake hunter. What? Like, like yeah, he would, like, and he still does it for fun. Just for fun. Uh, on, on weekends, he goes out into the wilderness, finds rare snakes, takes them home with him. He has a room that is literally just like snakes in uh, different cages. What? what what are they called? Not like an arboretum. What is it uh, called? Uh, it's not an aquarium. Yeah. Anyway, it's a terrarium. Ter- yeah, terrarium. He has yeah different terrariums where he just uh, throws these snakes, and uh, eventually, like he breeds the snakes because he finds like multiples of these rare types of snakes, and then he sells the snakes. That's interesting. Is that legal? Um, I don't know if it, I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, interesting. So does he do something for work that is in some type of science field? (laughs) No, like he's like a, a, uh, like respected, like financial analyst. Um, (laughs) but, uh, he, I mean, this was just like a hobby. That's interesting. Um, he always liked nature, uh, when he was young, you know, so it was just something that he did on the side. Wow. Um, I am state. Where, where does he live now? Texas. Yeah. Just for that alone, I'm probably never going to enter the state of Texas. Yeah. Th- that's a, a valid reason. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I'm glad that I asked about that. This was very, uh, very enriching conversation for all the listeners, but I enjoyed it. So on that note, unless you have any other comments on snakes, as I search to get back to, uh, the outro, we will close it uh, down. No. Uh, kill it. Kill it. Oh, actually, I'm going to share one other thing. See, one of my biggest fears might be in the middle of the night. I have to go to the bathroom. You know, I'm stumbling through the dark. I sit down on the toilet and the snake is in the toilet bowl. Don't. Yeah, I really wish you wouldn't have even said that. Have you heard yeah. any stories in your time of Texas of something similar? No. Uh, but, I mean, you see stuff online. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's terrifying. That's like Harry Potter-esque. Um, yes. with like snake using the pipe, but, uh, yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah. That's where parcel tongue would be, would be, would be a nice feature to have. 
Um, but that's going to do it for today's show. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Be sure to check out Rotoviz. And if there's any topics you want us to discuss or questions you'd like for us to answer, send an email to rotovizradio at gmail.com. Until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.